for our scripture reading, we'll turn again to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34, and this afternoon we'll begin reading at the verse 18. Second Chronicles chapter 34, beginning at verse 18. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And thus it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered him, say, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, when you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people great and small, and read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did, according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel, and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers this far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, this morning we began to look at this passage where 
the law was read to the king. And how, as we saw in verse 19, that when he heard the law, he ripped his garments as a sign of, of mourning, a sign of grief, a sign of sorrow, knowing that he had fallen short of the law of God, and that he, had, he and the people of the land had not kept the law. And God's Word says that those who do not keep all the commandments, the curse will fall upon them. And so we noted this morning as we began looking at repentance and the example of repentance from Josiah's life, we saw first that that repentance was started, it came through the Word of God when he heard the Word read to him. That's how God works it into our hearts with His Holy Spirit, the hearing of His Word and the bringing it to our hearts. But then secondly, this morning we also saw that repentance also makes us honest before God, makes us honest with our sin before God, honest with the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. And it makes us seek for that Savior, for to seek the mercy of God. And Josiah heard this law. He humbled himself. We saw that the grief and the sorrow of heart. And this afternoon we wish to continue uh, with that thought, uh, with the, the theme of the example of Josiah's repentance and the lesson, the first thought we have this morning, first lesson, sorry, this afternoon, is that repentance then turns us away from sin to God. It now turns us away from sin to God. Verse 20 says, 21, sorry, verse 21, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. As soon as Josiah heard this law read to him, what does he do? He goes to the Lord. He says, go inquire of the Lord. Why? Why does he go there? Well, because, as Romans 2 verse 4 says, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the, it's the knowledge that, that there is mercy, that God is merciful, that there is mercy with God. True repentance believes that there is mercy to be found with this God, and it turns to God. And so we can see from other passages as well, Judges 10 verse 10, it says, Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served Baals. So here they recognize what sin is. Sin is turning away from God, forsaking God, and turning to our idols, to our sins. But repentance is that very opposite again, turning now away from our sins, away from our idols, and to but God, back to serving God. And that's what Paul explains in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, where he says that the evidence of God's work in their hearts was seen when they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that's because this is the only place left to go. There is no other place left to go. Peter says, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That law came from God. That judgment and that curse comes from God. And then where else really can you go? The only place to find relief is at the same God. 
And so where does the king go? Well, he sends the priest, Hilkiah, to Huldah, the prophetess, to inquire of the Lord. And isn't that what happened too when Peter preached on, on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost? The people were convicted in their hearts, and they cried out back to Peter, what must we do? The same thing happened to the Philippian jailer when, when the earthquake happened in the middle of the night. He, he came running into the, into the cell where Saul, Paul and, and Silas were, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And so where do you go? Where does your sin and your conviction and your guilt drive you? Does it lead you to seek this God, the God who is, is, is a God of mercy, to inquire in His temple? Do you ask God, do you ask His people, where must I go? Do you leave your old way of life and begin to seek what God would have us to do in this life? Have you ever had to ask, what is there left for me? Where can I now go? Because I, all I see is condemnation. All I see is this curse that is hanging over me because of my sin. God's Word says, I am cursed. Is there, is there then no way out? That's what the king was thinking. And he says, then go inquire of the Lord for me. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because we have not kept the Word of God. And the king here recognized, see what he said, that the wrath of the Lord is poured out because of our sins. And he doesn't see a way of escape because when the Lord pours out his wrath, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And do we understand what Josiah here really is saying? When he sees the Lord's wrath, it's not just a momentary punishment. It's not just a year or two years but this wrath, this is God's eternal wrath against sin without restraint. There is no limit to this wrath. There is no end to this wrath. This is the eternal wrath of God against sin because He is eternally holy and pure. This is the unquenchable fire of God's wrath. The Revelation 20 says it's that lake of fire where the torments of ascend day and night forever and ever. This is what Josiah recognized. And the first answer that comes does not seem to give him any relief, does it? In verse 24, we hear the reply, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. And this is what Josiah heard when they read this law, these books of Moses. Deuteronomy 28 says, If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all the commandments, all these curses will come upon you. God is the God who cannot lie. Sin must be punished. And so Josiah, as we had heard this morning, he realized that even though he purged the land, even though he rebuilt a temple and tried to reinstate the worship, this curse remained. This curse still hung over the land, and it seemed like there was no way out for him. But he goes and inquires of the Lord. And this is how you come, the children of God, 
that even though the law of God condemns you, you have nowhere else to go. You turn yourself into God, so to speak, guilty, here I am, and you ask, is there then still mercy for me? Go inquire of the Lord for me. That, that is what you do despite what this law condemns you, how this law condemns you. And that is because we see in the second place here that true repentance is rooted in the heart. True repentance turns to God because it is rooted in the depths of your heart. And it's not external. It's not external reform as we saw this morning, but it's in the heart. It's not simply improving our life. It's not just a decision in our mind that we make in this world and say, now we're done with it. If it doesn't go any further than our minds, that's just, that's just empty nominalism. And then there's no difference between us and the world if that's all it is. Then there's no change of life and no change of heart. And then you can live your whole life and nobody will ever notice that you claim to be a Christian. But now... Verse 26 says, But as for the king of Judah, thus says the Lord. In verse 27, Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, you humbled yourself before me. You tore your clothes and wept before me. Because your heart was tender, there was a response to the Word of God. There was submission to the Word and the condemnation of God. You were humbled with to go before God. You were honest before God. You opened your heart to God and said, See, Lord, what lives in my heart. And as we sang, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me my inmost thoughts to know and lead me if in sin I stray in the everlasting way. For some people, this repentance can be most noticeable at the beginning, at the initial conversion, especially for those who have been living openly ungodly lives, and when the Lord saves them, there's such a drastic change in their life. You can think of Saul who persecuted the churches, and on the way to Damascus, the Lord stopped him, and not many years later, he was a preacher of the gospel. Such a change in his life. But that repentance also continues. It, it, it's not just once. We're never done learning about our sin because we continue to find that indwelling sin in our hearts. Our, we're never totally cleansed from our sin, and the Lord digs deeper and deeper into our hearts and uncovers more and more of our sin in this repentance that continues, maybe not in such a drastic way as some experience it. But the repentance is not just a one-time turning to the Lord, but it's a continual turning to the Lord, a lifelong work. It's that new life of grace in the hearts. And some people experience greater conviction and repentance maybe later on in life. Maybe they've come to the Lord in a, in a quiet way. Josiah began to seek the Lord from a young age. It says he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. His, his life really was blameless. And yet, and he even cleansed the land of idols. He repaired a temple. But yet when he heard that law, he realized that was not enough. And there was a strong repentance. God brought a great conviction and greater repentance and humbling. And so some people are brought 
to conviction before coming to Christ and others more after coming to Christ. And that can be true of young people who grow up in a church. It's, it's not as, as plain to see when their hearts are really turned to the Lord. But it must be in the heart. It is in the heart. Because if it's not in the heart, that will also become evident. Because there are those who are raised in the church, who are taught in the ways of the Lord. And when they're young, it looks like they fear the Lord. But when they become older, they turn away from the Lord. For a while, it looked like there was a zealous life. There was a clean life. There was a service. But later on, it appears there was no true repentance in the heart. Because then they turn away. But true repentance is rooted deep in the heart. Whether it's shown in the fruit, shows its fruits early or later. There is a, a humbling of the heart. Because it's very humbling, isn't it? Even especially if you go on in life, the, the more you, you see your sins, you see how deep those corruptions really live. As you continue to discover more sins, you continue to discover you cannot really ever get rid of those sins. And we continue to struggle with those indwelling sins daily. And even though maybe in reality we sin less, especially the great sins you might call them, the less, certainly great, obvious sins, but we start to feel ourselves to be greater sinners because you see the inclination to sin. You see that, that, that sin that oozes up every once or continually in our hearts. And that's because by grace you become more sensitive to sin, more aware of our sin. You do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God and you, when these sins rise up in your heart, you know that it is sin that grieves God and His Holy Spirit. It's especially those hidden sins of the heart that, that bother you and that worry you that no one else sees. It's in the heart. Not the external, but the internal. Because you know that the Lord Jesus says that's the fountain of our corruption. That's where our evil thoughts, our evil desires and, heart, and, 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 and corruptions come from out of the heart. And that's why repentance must begin there at the root, in the depth of our soul. And this is another reason why the Lord Jesus gave the Lord's Supper. To remind us of that work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To remind us that though you struggle the rest of your life with these remaining sins, Christ has also atoned for them. For those who have come to Him for that forgiveness. And that is where you can find that peace. And when daily we know that we are so filled with corruption, but yet there is peace with God knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has washed it all away. But that repentance then really reveals what lives in our hearts. Because that faith and that repentance always go together. Those are the two fruits of that regeneration that God works in our hearts. Both are there. But it's usually that repentance that is seen. It's that repentance that turns away from sin. That's the most evident. But this is why also it, it, it evidences what's in your heart. Because the lack of that repentance, the lack of turning from sin, it shows that what is in the heart of unbelievers. And there might be a lot of reform in our life in the outward sense. And yet there could be that pursuing of sin in our life. 
of, of an unbeliever. Because in Revelation 16, when God brings His wrath and judgments upon the earth, the unbelievers, they, 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 they rebel against God, even though they felt these plagues and these torments, the heat, the darkness, the pain. It says they did not repent. But they only cursed and blasphemed God. And so the question for us is, is this repentance evidence in our lives? Do the trials, do the chastisements, do the judgments of God humble us? Or does it create a resentment, a hardening against God? Or maybe if we put it this way, does it draw you closer to God? Or does it draw you far, or push you farther away from God? Is, it, is the Lord using it to draw you to himself, knowing that that is the only place where you can find mercy and peace? Or does it push you further away from him because that's not what you want? That is the key in the heart. Our lives may say something different. Our clothes may say that we are Christian, but the desires and intent of our heart reveals if we have repented of our sin. Josiah tore his clothes as a visible sign of mourning and of grief over a sin, but it was because it came from his heart. God says in Joel 2, Thus says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and so rend your heart and not your garment. We don't need to rip our clothes because God says rip your hearts. Open your hearts. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious. For he is merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. This is what God says. Rip your hearts in repentance. And that repentance brings that sorrow to the heart. This is what it is. That even though Josiah cleaned out so many idols and, and, and now, now he sees the root, he sees the consequences. And with true repentance, your sorrow is not only because of the consequences. The fear of consequences can often keep us from a sinning and from an immoral lifestyle. The consequences might make us not speed because we don't want to get caught, or it might keep us from sins like adultery or, or fornication because we do not want to be caught. But the question is, do we hate the sin? Or do we love the sin? What is in our hearts? Is your heart rent by a godly sorrow because of the sins that you find in your heart? And if this is true, this repentance seeks forgiveness in the heart. Repentance seeks forgiveness in the heart. Because if this repentance is found of your, in your heart, you cannot be satisfied with an externally clean life. Just because your life is reformed, just because certain things have changed or cleaned up, have you also found forgiveness? Or does that guilt of your sin still hang over your head? Because sin is not negotiable. God will not overlook your sin, but it must be punished. Huldah said, all those judgments will certainly come. All the curses will come. 
my wrath will be poured out. And this is what your heart cannot get away from. This is what burdens your soul. Your soul needs to find peace with God. And there can be no peace with God when His curses are hanging over your head. And at first, when you begin to seek God, it can seem like those terrors increase. That's often why we don't like to hear about sin, about the wrath of God. But without hearing the diagnosis of the problem, we will also not seek the cure. How do we react to God's Word? How do we respond when we hear these things? Does it draw us closer to God? The first words that Josiah heard were, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place. All the curses will come. God must punish sin because He is a just and a holy God. But then in the last place, repentance finds peace with God. Verse 27, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. Now Josiah receives an answer of peace. God says he will not see all this calamity that will fall on the wicked because he repented. See, our repentance doesn't end in itself. Repentance is not satisfied with the fact that we repented. It's not satisfied just with the fact that we turned away from a sin. No, Josiah could not stop until he found God, until he heard from God. He was not satisfied with the work of reforming the land and his life, but he needed that peace with God. He needed that answer from God. And the act of repentance is an evidence that you turn from sin to seek God by faith. The king humbled himself, and he wept, and he inquired of the Lord. And the reason you come to the Lord, children of God, is because you believe that he's the only one who has the answer for your soul, the only one who can restore that peace that is missing. That repentance is always combined with that faith. It cannot be separated because you believe that there is that mercy with God. It's a goodness of God that, that leads you to repentance. If there was no hope with God, we couldn't go there. There would, there would be no reason to go there. But now we may read in Psalm 103 that the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And repentance doesn't stop until you find that mercy. It doesn't stop until you find that forgiveness because you need that curse removed. See, Josiah went to the priest. And the priest was sent to Huldah the prophetess. But in the Old Testament, the priest and the prophets, they all pointed to Christ. And all the sacrifices, they pointed to Christ. And they could see these, these visible representations of what Christ would do. 
All these sacrifices that showed how the, the lamb would be, would be killed and, and slaughtered and, and, and the blood would be shed. And how they had to bring this to the Lord. It's all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, how He would be that Lamb of God who would, who would die that accursed death on the cross under the wrath of God. There we can see what Josiah was, was, was asking about. How can God and re- remove that sin from us and from our nation and from me? It's through Christ. Christ who died on the cross for unworthy and undeserving sinners. There Christ bore what Josiah wrote about here. The wrath of God that is poured out and not quenched. God said in verse 25, My wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. That eternal wrath of God. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ bore on the cross. The unlimited wrath, the eternal wrath on Christ alone, the one Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, standing there in the place of His people. That is what we may look at now. Josiah only had the, the, the symbols of it, but we have the fulfillment of it recorded in the Bible. But there he, poured, there he bore that wrath of God that was poured out without reserve upon him instead of his people. And here he says it was not quenched. It would not be quenched when it's poured out upon the land because people can't pay for their sins. But in Calvary's cross, it was quenched. There that penalty was paid. There God's wrath was appeased. There that curse was removed when Christ hung on the accursed cross and took that cross. And so now sinners can find peace with God. Even Josiah had a taste of it there when he said, you'll be gathered up in peace to the grave because there was a way that was being made through the Messiah. And Josiah gets to hear these precious words, I have also heard you. And here God promises to hear all those who call upon Him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has taken that curse. He has removed that curse. He has borne that wrath. He has quenched the wrath of God, appeased the wrath of God, and turned it away from all those who are in Him. And so now He says, call upon me in a day of trouble, and I will answer, I will deliver you. Josiah was heard. Verse 28, it says, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place and its inhabitants. There would be peace during his reign because he turned to the Lord, but there would be peace as he was gathered to the grave. And so it is for all those who turn to the Lord there is peace, not, not only in your life, not peace from this world, but peace in your heart, peace between you and God, and you'll be gathered to peace in eternity when you die, when you enter the grave. There will be eternal peace in glory, and you will not see the calamity that will fall on those who will be punished eternally, where God's wrath will never be quenched in hell. Will it never be quenched on those who refuse to turn to the Lord? 
But in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is peace for your soul because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before me. I also have heard you. And so once again, the Lord's table is for those who have gone to the God through Jesus Christ to find this peace by way of repentance and faith. Those who have been heard of God for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is here that the Lord wants to remind you that there is peace that as certainly as his body and blood have been broken and shed, so certainly your sins have been washed away and that curse removed. And this is what he communicates to his people. That is what he desires to communicate as he meets together with them at the table. And so may these words comfort your hearts this week as you examine yourself for the coming to the table of the Lord. Amen.